Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seibin, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And I want to begin first, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have somebody who calls themselves Milkshake. We also have Euclid Rugman, Victor Martinez, and Carmen Nooner, who gave via the tip jar. I want to thank everyone who's contributed to the channel in uh, the many ways that you do. So thank you for that. And that includes watching on a regular basis because all of those things contribute to channel growth. I actually just went past my 40 millionth view, which is amazing considering I haven't really left the basement to do it all. So that is cool stuff. So I want to thank everyone for your support of the channel. And we continue to see that very steady curve upward as we grow. So we'll keep cranking stuff out for you as time goes on. And this week's non-ad comes from the Amazon affiliate program. They have a sale this week for uh, E3, which is the big gaming exposition out on the west coast of the U.S. You've probably seen some of the keynotes already. And Amazon is having a big sale in recognition of that event. A lot of PC gaming hardware. So if you want to check out uh, what they've got, you can go to lon.tv slash Amazon E3. They are not sponsoring this, but this is an affiliate link. And I always like to find good deals that I can uh, share with you. And we'll be doing it in this ad position until we get a regular sponsor here on the wrap-up. So what did we do in the last week? Well, I did a couple of things on the Extras channel, not as many as last week. Yesterday, I unboxed a new 8-bit clone NES console that is less expensive than the one we looked at last week, only $29. You can see that unboxing there. We also unboxed the Amazon Echo Look, which I'll talk about in a minute. And I unboxed the new keyboard case for the iPad Pro 10.5. Look at the view count on that. This is as of last night, 13,000 views. And this speaks to the uh, power that, unfortunately, for some of you, Apple has with consumers. You put up an Apple video, people watch it. And uh, what I did in this video was just curious to see how big the new iPad is going to be versus the current 9.7-inch. And we were able to figure out, sort of, how that uh, size might play out based on the size of the keyboard case compared to the current 9.7-inch iPad Pro. And apparently a lot of people are interested in this thing. And look at the view count we got. This is probably the second most watched video on the Extras channel, just to give you an idea of that. So, uh, you know, you, you can't beat Apple, unfortunately, for consumer top of mind. They have a tremendous amount of earned value in the marketplace that plays out when you upload stuff like this. It's pretty remarkable, actually, and I'm sure I'll get plenty of comments on that down below. So what do we do on the main channel? Well, we looked at the Leva Z Plus, and I actually like this one quite a bit. This is a little mini PC. I think it costs about four or 500 bucks, and it has a relatively regular i5 processor built in. It's a dual-core chip. Uh, similar to many of, of the i5 processors we've seen on laptops. It's a KB Lake, though, so it gives you a lot of media capacity, and you can play back uh, some pretty high-end stuff on this thing, including some uh, of the HEVC super heavy-duty video files that we test all the time. So really nice little mini PC. You'll pay a little more than you might against something that might come in a similar size form factor with less horsepower, but if you need the power, uh, this is it. It might actually work really well as a media server and a media player, both at the same time. We also looked at the Logitech K840. This is a mechanical keyboard designed for non-gamers, so it doesn't have as much of a gaming look to it. There's no backlighting on it, 
costs about $80, and I think this is probably the least expensive uh, mechanical keyboard that Logitech makes with a number pad, but they have a gaming keyboard that doesn't look too ridiculous. It only costs $10 more with more features, and I mentioned that uh, in the video, but you can check out that one. I really like that keyboard, actually. I'm using it on my, on my main uh, Mac now. Uh, we also looked at the Amazon Echo Look, and uh, this came in from Elias Saba, who runs uh, AFTVnews.com, which is a great site if you're interested in the Amazon hardware ecosystem, and he let me borrow this for a couple days to check it out. I am not probably the target audience for this product. What it's designed to do is take pictures of you and allow you to compare outfits, and uh, Amazon will give you some recommendations based on their cloud machine learning thing, and I'm guessing some uh, people that might look at your pictures as well, so you have to kind of give up some of that privacy. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute as well, and it comes back with recommendations, and it actually works pretty decently. It was able to look at uh, an outfit that I wore, same outfit, but noticed that one had a belt and one did not and made uh, the right recommendation. Now, I wear about the same thing every day, just different colors, so I'm not really a great target for this thing, but uh, it was interesting, but again, kind of creepy that you're going to have a camera in your bedroom or wardrobe uh, at the ready, and you have to be willing to give up that little bit of privacy or a lot of privacy to get there. Uh, we also looked at the Dell Inspiron 5000 AMD gaming laptop, and this one also introduced a lot of conversation on the channel, and I'll talk a little more about that a little later in the video. The bottom line on this one is, is that uh, for the same money, you can actually get a better performing Intel slash NVIDIA laptop uh, and get a much better gaming experience out of it. But there is a starting point on this one around $650 that I think is actually a fairly decent value. But as many people point out, there are some new generation AMD laptops on the very near horizon that folks might want to wait for if they don't want to go with the Intel NVIDIA route. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. Actually, I got quite a few this week. Uh, the first thing is my full-time vlog that I've been doing here on The Wrap-Up. This is week 14 of me doing this as my full-time occupation, and everything is uh, moving along quite smoothly. I'm still looking for a remote editor that works in Final Cut Pro, so uh, keep emailing me if you're interested, perhaps, in working with me as an editor. I can't pay all that much, but I will pay something, and uh, it might be kind of a fun experiment to see how we can do remote editing uh, using Final Cut Pro. A bunch of you uh, reached out last week. We're working in other platforms. It has to be Final Cut Pro on the Mac because that is what I use, and uh, it's probably the only way it's going to work in this environment here. So definitely uh, let me know, though, if you're interested in some editing work. And I also uh, wanted to start tracking my time better because I am still looking for somebody locally here to help me out. And I really wanted to get to the bottom of where I'm spending a lot of my time and the sorts of things that I uh, don't like doing. I had some anecdotal things just based on my emotional reaction to the things that I do throughout the week, but I didn't have uh, you know, some quantitative data to back it up. So I've uh, asked around, and a lot of folks are using something called Toggle. It's a uh, free a web-based utility. They have some apps also, and uh, they have obviously paid plans that they will try to get you into, but uh, as a free product, it's actually working quite well. I have a whole bunch of different projects set up here for both the channel and some of the consulting work that I do, and uh, throughout this weekend, as I was doing some of my catch-up work, I was able to really track how I'm spending my time, and I'm going to be really diligent about this over the next month or two, hopefully forever, uh, in keeping track of what I'm doing in each component of the business so I can really uh, make best use of somebody when I do finally find the right fit here. So uh, good stuff. If you're really interested in tracking time, both for yourself or perhaps for clients, uh, this might be worth looking at. And it's uh, got a pretty decent free tier on it, much better than I expected. Now, later this week, I'm going into New York City for one of these Pepcom media events. And I love these things because uh, I can go into uh, New York 
and there's a small room that they let you into. There's a bunch of food there, but there's also a whole bunch of consumer electronics brands, and usually it's the marketing people from the companies themselves. So it's a great uh, networking opportunity for me to meet different brands and see all the emerging products that will be out for the back-to-school season, which is coming up soon here in the United States. And it's also great for you because I can do a nice video of wrapping up all the different things that I saw there. So hopefully on Thursday or Friday, I'll give you, most likely Friday or maybe even Saturday, I'll give you a full uh, report of all the cool stuff that I saw at Pepcom from uh, some of the brands you're familiar with, as well as maybe some new stuff that uh, we haven't heard of before. There's always something cool and exciting to find at one of these things, and I'm really uh, digging being able to go to those. I also wanted to talk about iMessage again because there was an article in Motherboard that kind of looked at the issue that I raised, not directly from this, but I'm sure other people are thinking the same thing. Uh, and the headline is kind of misleading because it says Apple is trying to make your iMessages even more private. And I uh, raised the issue last week that the announcement that they had that they're going to start syncing up your iMessages might be kind of a, comp- uh, a compromise made to the government to allow them to get access to that uh, that messaging platform, which they don't have access to now. Because right now, your encryption keys for iMessage are stored, the private keys are stored on the device itself, which is why when you get a new iPad or Mac or whatever, you never get the history of your messages unless you're restoring from an iCloud backup. So if you want to stay private, uh, you can have your messages not back up to iCloud, and uh, those messages will stay only on the device that uh, received them or sent them because everything is encrypted and inaccessible to any other device, and that's been a real big feature of iMessage. Now they're talking about syncing it up, and Motherboard uh, asked the question, and all they could say uh, was that they're making it secure, but they didn't actually say how, and many uh, cryptographers are already scratching their heads and holding their breath for Apple to release more information as to how they solve this syncing problem without storing the the encryption keys on their servers, which would then be accessible to a government. So I'm eager to see the answer to this also, because it's really difficult to make syncing work uh, without making your keys accessible somewhere in the cloud that would be in reach of the government. Uh, But we'll see, see what they come up with here. Apple did release a pretty uh, decent white paper when they first released the iMessage protocol, uh, maybe a couple, maybe a year or two after they released the protocol, that uh, really detailed the steps they took to uh, make that platform fairly secure. And it was very well received by the encryption community. So we'll see if they do the same thing now. And I was excited this week to see that Amazon was releasing new versions of their Fire 7 and HD 8 tablets. I like these because they're uh, very good little devices for the money, even if they have a pretty lousy 90-day warranty. But uh, as it turns out, while these are new in the sense that Amazon is saying they're new, there's not much new in how they perform versus the prior generation. In fact, it's identical uh, to the prior generation in performance. And I think the processors are the same, if not uh, just a slight revision from last year. So kind of disappointed here. I bought both of these things, and I probably should have checked out uh, the tablet specification page first, which you can find at the link down below. Really helpful uh, link for developers, but also for consumers who want to see what the differences are between these generations. Uh, Amazon does release a new tablet every year, and the changes this year are really not significant. So if you have last year's tablet, uh, you're perfectly fine where you are. There really isn't any compelling reason to upgrade. And in the case of the HD8 tablet, they took the gyroscope out. So if you have games that use the gyroscope, uh, they will not work as well or at all uh, on the new HD8 tablet. So just keep that in mind. But my loss here is your gain. I'm selling both of the uh, tablets that I bought, opened, and started testing uh, on the, uh, the store at lon.tv store for a reduced price. They were used for all of maybe an hour or two each. So they're uh, pretty much brand new, just going to be in an open package. And if you want one, go ahead and grab it. And yesterday, Microsoft announced their new Xbox One X, not to be confused with the Xbox One S. 
Uh, so if you are making a holiday wish list for your non-techie loved ones, I would suggest you write everything down this year so they don't confuse the two. Uh, but what's interesting about this is the price point. 500 bucks, which some say is a lot for a game console, I say is not so much for a mini PC or at least a living room PC that has the hardware capability that they were showing off yesterday. Pretty remarkable to get uh, the kind of 4K output at 60 frames per second that they were getting on this thing. It won't be as good as a really beefed up uh, gaming PC, for example, but for something so small and uh, so affordable, at least relatively speaking, I think it's actually a pretty remarkable development. Uh, just think about this. We looked at that Leva mini PC this week. Uh, that was about four or $500. Doesn't even come close to this in graphics performance. This thing just blows it away. And uh, What's really intriguing to me is the moves that Microsoft made last year to get a lot of Windows 10 apps running on Xbox hardware through their universal app program. Doesn't take a lot of code changes, at least from what I'm hearing, for developers to make those uh, apps work on the Xbox platform. And it's a huge built-in uh, marketplace and a pretty large amount of user installs that uh, developers get access to. So that's a great thing, and that certainly makes this thing more interesting to me. But what was really the buried lead of the entire event was the fact that Microsoft is making these exclusive titles, almost all of them, I believe, available at win on the Windows 10 side of things in addition to being on the Xbox. So now the platform is more about the Windows Store than it is about the hardware it runs on. And I think to me that is really the big uh, the big news that came out of this, because uh, what I see Microsoft doing here is coming up with reference hardware, very similar to what they've done with the Surface line of computers. And perhaps Microsoft's intent was to get into the hardware business, or perhaps their intent was to threaten the industry that they would get into the business if they didn't uh, improve the quality of their products. And as we've seen on the PC side of things, I certainly have over the last three or four years, PC quality has improved immensely as a result of Microsoft's entrance into the hardware business. They define like a, a reference design and have really executed quite well on not only making good hardware, but encouraging their manufacturing partners to do the same thing. And I think that's where they're going with this because we're going to see in the not too distant future living room gaming PCs that will perform as well as this does or even better for around the same price. And at that point, Microsoft is still in the driver's seat because if you have an original Xbox One, uh, you're playing all those games, maybe you have an Xbox 360 even playing those games, uh, those will certainly now be very valuable to you because those games will transfer right over to your living room gaming PC because you're going to be in that Microsoft App Store already and your library is there waiting for you. And when you install those games on the higher powered device, they'll look better in many cases as well without having to spend more money. And uh, that is a very compelling thing, I think, for consumers and really eases the transition moving from uh, the Xbox platform to the PC platform. And now we're starting to see with uh, the Windows 10 uh, that they just announced on the uh, little Windows Surface uh, notebook, which we'll be getting in in two weeks, which only installs apps from the App Store. I think you can see now Microsoft is kind of circling the wagons around their software App Store as a means of moving the company forward, at least on the consumer consumer side. And uh, that's, that strategy is certainly playing out here. So this Xbox One X is going to be very powerful, very affordable. And I guarantee you we're going to see uh, PC manufacturers looking to get into the game, maybe making a $600 machine that performs better, that can run more Windows apps perhaps because it's running regular Windows come into play. And I think at some point we're going to see a grand merger here because the cost differential of a decently performing gaming PC and a game console will be uh, inconsequential to the point where you'll have a lot more choices, a very hardware 
agnostic platform, and uh, that's where I think we'll see things going. Uh, however, at the same time, we've got the Nintendo Switch, which I play with more than anything else these days, and I like that one for its convenience, but if I could play PC games in a similar fashion, I think that would certainly win out. So a lot of exciting things to come here, but I think the grand merger is starting to happen here, and it's going to be uh, very interesting to me, at least, to see how Nintendo and Sony react to this in, not now, but in two or three years when this, this really starts to gel, because I think for consumers to know that you can uh, have all your games waiting for you on your gaming PC that you were playing over the last eight years on your Xbox, that's pretty compelling to me. But the biggest thing about this event and prior events too is that people get most excited over backwards compatibility. There was more enthusiasm in that room over the announcement that original Xbox games from like 12 or 13, 14 years ago are going to play on this on the Xbox One platform. That was like the big announcement that got everybody excited, more so than anything else that they talked about. And I think that's very telling as well. Now, one brand you're not going to hear about at E3 is ColecoVision. This was a game console that I played with quite a bit uh, back in the 80s. I think I got mine around 82, 83, and they had some awesome games. I've talked about it before in the past, and I'll uh, link to some stuff in the master playlist so you can get your taste of ColecoVision also. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, though, is because the company that now owns the Coleco and the ColecoVision brand name uh, is doing something that really concerns me as an independent content creator. And I just wanted to bring this out in the open so uh, people can understand some of the uh, challenges that we face here in this 21st century media business, especially when we depend on platforms like Facebook and YouTube. So uh, Coleco now is no longer a company. It actually began right here in my home state of Connecticut. In fact, I once served on a board with uh, one of the executives of that company before they went defunct or just right after they went defunct. And I got to actually thank him for creating my favorite game console as a kid, which was pretty cool. Uh, but what's happened is, is that the company went out of business or got sold and broken up. And the Coleco brand name, the trademark, uh, was sold as an asset, probably for pennies on the dollar, to a company called River West Brands. Now, Coleco, the company, uh, made the Coleco Vision. They made a whole bunch of other toys that uh, I and so many other kids played with in the 80s and back. Uh, and they also created Cabbage Patch Kids, which River West Brands does not have. So if you see a, a Cabbage Patch doll out there, that was a separate deal because that brand had uh, more equity, perhaps, than Coleco and Coleco Vision did. So uh, River West Brands you know, buys these, these trademarks when they're kind of really cheap, and they uh, license out the use of the name. And we're seeing this in a lot of different areas also, like Kodak makes cameras, but they don't actually make the cameras. They license the Kodak name to somebody who is making the camera. Polaroid does the same thing, uh, and River West Brands now can do that with the Coleco brand name, and they've done that with the Flashback console and a couple of other things. Uh, these other brands up here are some other brands that they own, at least they, according to their website. So Eagle Snacks, which I'm sure many of you have heard about here in the U.S., or Brim Coffee. Apparently, all those are defunct companies, but the brands live on, and River West gets a cut of uh, whatever use of those trademarks are used. Now, there's a group on uh, Facebook called ColecoVision Fan, and there's about 28,000 people that follow it, far more than the actual uh, River West ColecoVision group gets here. So a lot of uh, fans like myself who are really into the ColecoVision are uh, following this thing. And I love seeing the posts that they put up. They put up videos of some of the old games they used to play, and there's always some great discussion around it. And uh, the other day, they put up some sponsored posts because uh, they had an image like this taken down from their page. So what's happening is within this ColecoVision homebrew community is that people are still making games for this old console and uh, they're making boxes and cartridges that 
look identical to the way they looked back in the day. This is exactly what the packaging used to look like when I was a kid shopping at my local toy store. And uh, the ColecoVision uh, brand name and logo is the property of River West Brands. And River West, as the owner of that copyright, has the right to go to somebody making these things and saying, hey, guys, you can't, you can't do this. You got to uh, pay us a licensing fee or uh, change your logo. You could probably still make the game. I think all the hardware trademarks and patents are probably expired by now, but uh, you can't just use the logo like this. However, the big concern here is that River West went after the uh, Facebook group and forced them to take down their uh, posts that had pictures like this. And it wasn't just one of them. There was a bunch of them, um, including this one that you see here. And uh, that really concerns me because uh, this is not the person making the game. The company that made these, or the person that made these homebrew games should be the one receiving those takedown orders and uh, trademark cease and desist letters, not a independent group that's reporting on these things. And this is very small scale stuff. We're not dealing with some big corporation here on either side, uh, but it's an example of how people can abuse the copyright system to uh, take down content that they don't like. And in this instance, there is completely a fair use case to be had here. Unfortunately, the ColecoVision group as it, as it exists doesn't have the money to contest that. So if River West is not willing to uh, remove the uh, DMCA takedown that they've put on this content, there is no way they can get the content back up without suing them. And that really is the conundrum. So for those of us without a lot of money for legal expenses like me and many, many, many other people, on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and other platforms. We're kind of at the mercy of these companies when this stuff goes on. These are stories you won't hear about because it's not some big corporation. It's not going to get a lot of news, but uh, this is the kind of crap that can go on when a company doesn't like what you do. And this really bothers me. And uh, for Coleco, it's just such a stupid decision to make, or I should say for River West Brands, because there is very little uh, market demand for these products. There is a small group of us, maybe 30,000 or so, who have very fond memories of this stuff, but uh, it's going to be very hard to rebuild this brand and make it into something decent again. So you're better off being uh, good with your community as opposed to uh, just, you know, going after them like this because the community is the customer base. It's not, the community is not a subset or an enthusiast group of the customer base. It is the customer base. And to do what they're doing here uh, is pretty, pretty bad. Now, from their side, uh, River West does say that uh, some of the games that were being made were adult games that had inappropriate content for what they want the brand to be. And that's fine, but go after the people making the games, not somebody reporting on it. Uh, they also accused the, uh, the Facebook group of being a company that is selling these games, but nothing I can see is the case there. And they've denied that they are uh, working with these developers in a way that would make them attached to their company. So there are some, you know, some, some connections here that probably need to get, get a little bit more investigated. But at the end of the day, the fact is River West is going after a content creator inappropriately, and I think it's a wrong thing to do. And certainly in a very small community like this, they're not off to a good start trying to rebuild this brand. And I found this article in Fierce Cable that is of interest because Comcast is apparently uh, in a patent dispute with TiVo, actually Roby, the company that bought TiVo recently, over how their Xfinity X1 operating system presents content to viewers. Now, we've seen uh, with the HD Home Run DVR and in full disclosure, Silicon Dust is a sponsor here on the channel, as well as the Plex DVR and in full disclosure, uh, Plex sponsors content here on the channel as well. Uh, both of those DVR platforms take a very different approach to how they present guide data to you because uh, Roe v. has a patent as to how uh, this TV guide information is presented. And if you mimic their format, they go after you with a lawsuit. And uh, this article here talks about how Comcast is currently locked in a lawsuit with them at the moment. And this was telling to me, uh, before Roe v. acquired TiVo, 
54% of Roby's revenue was from licensing their intellectual property. In other words, uh, going after companies using TV guide data in a similar way to the way that they patented it and basically forcing them to pay a licensing fee. And that was half of their revenue before the TiVo acquisition. And they could somehow afford to pay $1.1 billion to acquire TiVo. This gives you an idea as to how much money there is in this stuff. And uh, this looks to be a uh, pretty uh, sizable lawsuit here. So we'll keep an eye on this one. But if you're wondering why why all these DVRs have different funky ways of trying to get content over to you. Uh, this is why, and I would imagine that uh, Google, through their Android TV platform, where you have the Live Channels app, which does give you a channel grid, uh, there's no doubt in my mind they're probably paying a licensing fee to Rovi in order to have that uh, app work for you. And I would imagine Windows or Microsoft is doing the same thing with the Windows Media Center. So if you ever wanted to know why people are doing these different guide strategies, that is it. And now it's time for some viewer Q&A. And this question came in from the Lango 99 based on my AMD gaming laptop that I wanted to bring out here because uh, he was assuming that I wasn't setting the settings properly for forcing games to move over to the discrete GPU versus the integrated graphics. And I actually did go in and make those changes because I was trying to make sure that everything was on the discrete GPU. I forced every game to do that. And Grand Theft Auto V just would not go over apparently to that discrete GPU. It was not a very user-friendly experience, especially if you have to go in and check every game to make sure it's using the proper GPU. This is the one thing that I think NVIDIA is doing a lot better than AMD at the moment. In addition to their processors being a little faster for the same money, we'll probably see some changes to that uh, in the very near future. But uh, on the laptop side, it really is not a very friendly experience. I couldn't even get drivers to install from AMD on this laptop. As I talked about in the video, I had to get them from Dell. Those drivers are a generation behind. And I did notice, too, that from the standpoint of uh, welcoming new gamers to the PC world, uh, NVIDIA does a much better job. They have some software called the NVIDIA Experience that uh, works as a way of capturing game footage, but also as a way of hand-holding you as you start to learn about what game settings to make, because it can be very complicated to get your games tweaked exactly the way uh, you want them to. And the GeForce Experience looks at your processor, looks at your GPU, and then uh, makes a recommended starting point for your settings, which I have found, even as a reviewer who looks at this stuff all the time, to be uh, much friendlier of an experience, especially just to get started, and then you can tweak it from there once you have a baseline to work from. Uh, AMD does have that feature, but it's through some third-party software. It's not very tightly integrated with what they're doing, and uh, my experience with that laptop was really frustrating. So AMD's got to you know, step up their game a little bit to make uh, things friendlier for consumers, especially on the laptop side, because uh, if you could spend $800 on a laptop we had here in the studio or $800 on a more powerful one uh, that's easier to get configured, I think you can see where the choices are going to be here. And this is all software. They can fix this if they just get the drivers right and they get the user experience right. And I think they're going to get there. But uh, at this point, I do think NVIDIA has the edge on ease of use. And Pat Camion wrote in with a very good question about uh, where we're at these days with security and privacy, especially with Google services and social media in general. He said, if you haven't read the book by Mark Goodman called Future Crimes, it is a real eye-opener. And uh, yes, we are at a stage now where I think the train has left the station. I think back in the 2000s when all these social platforms were kind of gelling and coalescing, we just gave them everything and uh, the world has become dependent on them. My livelihood now depends on one of these platforms that Google is running, which uh, for me is a great thing. But I think for many folks, myself included perhaps in some instances, you know, we're not aware of 
what we were doing in the past that now has consequences in the future. And uh, that is some of the convenience that these platforms have provided, but also a lot of the pitfalls that they have provided. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Uh, social media in particular is one area where if you don't have a social media persona that a potential employer can look for in making a hiring decision, or perhaps if you're looking for contract work or something, uh, you may as well not exist. And you're going to be at a competitive disadvantage versus somebody who is more public in their persona, uh, willing to share more with the public than uh, you are. And we're at that stage where this has happened very quickly over the course of less than 10 years, but that's the new reality. Employers will rummage through your social platforms and see what you're sharing with the world as a way of trying to get a better gauge as to what your reputation might be. And in the past, a private citizen uh, chose to become public. You chose to become an actor. You chose to become a politician. And you took all the responsibility that that entailed. Or uh, you chose to commit a really bad crime and you were exposed for the commission of that crime. But now we're looking at private citizens who might make some stupid, flippant, horrible remark. I'm thinking back to this young woman who uh, made a racist Twitter remark before she got on a plane to South Africa. And by the time she got to South Africa, she was a a global vilified celebrity, lost her job. And all this happened while she's in the air. And BuzzFeed was all over. It was a horrible thing that happened to her. She shouldn't have said what she said. It was really demeaning and a terrible statement. But uh, this is an example now that your private conduct or what you think is private uh, really is public conduct. And that's going to follow her around for the rest of her life because anytime somebody Googles her, that's what's going to come up. And that will be what uh, the first thing people see when they go in and take a look at who this person is that they're hiring. And if you're, again, if you're not on these platforms, you're at a disadvantage. And that is where we're at in the world right now. And uh, in fairness, the public couldn't get on these things fast enough because, hey, they're free. You can put your photos on here. I can share them with you very conveniently. How wonderful is this? However, uh, they're making far more money uh, analyzing the data that you're providing to them uh, and selling you advertising than you'll ever get back in those free services. But that is where people wanted to go. They wanted free things. And uh, in order for these things to be free, there was a lot of technology that came up around them to make them work better. And uh, nothing kind of paints this picture better than uh, the initial press release Google made to announce Gmail. I remember this to this day because I was so excited about it. This came out of nowhere. And when Google announced their email service, they said you would get one gigabyte of storage on their server. That was a big deal back then because at the time, I think Hotmail and Yahoo Mail, which I was using at at the time, was maybe giving you five or 10 megabytes. And uh, this was right when people were becoming more multi-device dependent. I had one of those uh, Palm Pilot portable things that I was able to check my email on. And having a server that would sync my email between devices was very important to me, which was why web-based email became more of what I was doing at that point because I needed to be able to uh, more easily sync up my email between my devices, but uh, I only had like a 10 megabyte limit on the Yahoo Mail uh, storage. And every time somebody sent me a big attachment, I had to get that attachment off and delete it, delete the mail, uh, or my friends couldn't email me in because they'd see that I hit my quota and they would get a bounce back message. But Gmail changed all of that. And uh, they even made a bold statement here. Google believes people should be able to hold onto their mail forever. And what they probably should have said is that we believe you should and we should too, because those mail pieces of those emails uh, reside on their servers and uh, they're using this as a main selling point. And actually Google Mail, when it was announced, was so popular, people couldn't get onto it fast enough. If you had an invite for Gmail, you could sell it on eBay for hundreds of dollars because that is how badly people wanted to get into this thing and put their information in there. And it worked out very well for Google. They were able to, uh, 
you know, look at the emails, put advertising up for you. Uh, and of course, the computers, they say, are the ones looking at those messages. But nonetheless, something is reading your email and putting up relevant advertising next to it. And I'm sure they tried to anonymize or have anonymized some of this data to better improve their algorithms and how people communicate with each other. In fact, now when I use my uh, Gmail inbox app, it makes suggested, uh, suggested uh, replies to emails as I'm writing them out because it's looking at what people are normally saying to each other and uh, you know, then allowing you to uh, more conveniently get through your communication throughout the day. But this is the kind of stuff that happens here. And uh, because all that stuff is stored on Google server, it's very easy for somebody to go in there and take it all, as we've seen time and again with a number of uh, public people and a few not so public people as well. So this is the era that we're in. I think the most important thing is, is that uh, you have to be on these platforms, but you also should take a lot of steps to make sure that you're being secure on these platforms. Enable two-factor authentication. Uh, look at ways of doing so without uh, relying on your phone's SMS capability. Use their apps instead of the SMS because people can compromise your uh, phone with the phone company and start getting your uh, two-factor messages that way. Uh, look at, perhaps, if you're really concerned, not using an email provider that stores your email in the cloud. Look at ways of going back to the inconveniences of having to sync it up yourself. Uh, look at maybe having an air-gapped computer that isn't connected to the network at all that stores your really private information. So uh, this is where we're at these days. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of private citizens, they were not prepared uh, for the, the consequences of your private life suddenly becoming so public and the importance of you making a portion of your life public so that your reputation can be analyzed by others in society. That's the big impact here of all these platforms. And I don't think we're going to be able to come up with any solutions to this in the short term. But over time, these things will develop norms and work themselves out. But my kids are entering a very different world than I entered for sure. And now a little less weighty question. Some folks are asking me to play some different games during my testing, including a lot of requests for Overwatch, which I know is a very popular game out there. Uh, here's the way I do testing on computers. I have a lot of stuff loaded up on this little PNY SSD that they sent to the channel not too long ago. Got a 480 gigabyte drive. And one of the things that I love about Steam is that I can put this into a computer, load up Steam, point Steam at this, and I've got all the games that I usually test accessible to me. I cannot do that with Overwatch. I'd have to download it every time in order to make it work. Uh, Steam is really the only platform that allows me to do that very easily. And I do like to test the same stuff from one video to the next because for me, I like to be able to see how one computer performs against another and I wouldn't get that performance idea if I kept testing different things on different computers every time. So for those of you that subscribe to the channel, there is some monotony involved perhaps in some of the performance reviews because we do the same thing every time, but uh, your viewership is only about 25% of the overall viewership that those videos get. So a lot of folks who come in are looking for kind of a well-rounded look at different games. Now, if there are other games you think I should start testing, I'd love to hear that. Uh, so let me know down in the comments below, but I really want to make sure it's on Steam and something that I can very easily get into and start testing. Uh, one of the reasons why I've been using Doom a lot in my videos is, uh, first of all, it's a very fast game. It performs quite nicely, even on lower-end hardware, but it's also got this arcade mode where it only takes me a few seconds to just jump in and start playing. Uh, likewise, GTA 5 now has the cloud backup, so I can just get uh, going right with my save game right when I pop in, so there's not a lot of uh, setup time involved because it does take a long time to review a PC on the evaluation side for me, so I've really made that process efficient. And unfortunately, Minecraft has gotten a lot more difficult to run from an SSD, which is why you're seeing it less now. I still run it on the uh, lower-end PCs, but generally, Minecraft is going to work on high-end stuff, so I've just uh, made that be an assumption. I also like to use the 3D Mark test suite, the, the uh, benchmark test that we run, because, again, that's a really good way of evaluating both 
uh, CPU and GPU performance. But again, I'd love to hear your suggestions down below. And now it's time for a Q&A for you. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the social media privacy stuff, especially from uh, some of my more younger viewers, because I do think that uh, some older folks do not uh, give young people enough credit for their literacy and their savvy on what it's like to be a private citizen in a very public era. And I'd love to hear from some of the younger viewers about uh, some of the ways you're protecting your privacy and how you learn to do that. Because I think it's uh, something that a lot of older folks don't quite understand that these kids out there, you kids out there, are probably a little more savvier on this than we give you credit for. And please uh, let me know what you think down in the comments below. So let's move on to the channel of the week. And this week, we're going to take a look at G-Man Mods, another channel with very few subscribers, or at least comparatively against some other channels of similar nature. And uh, this guy is a modding machine. He takes big consoles and mods them into handhelds. He's got a PS2 portable. He's got a Wii U that he made into some portable system. And uh, he's doing quite a bit to make these things work. He's cutting the motherboards and figuring out where he can cut and what he has to retrace. Pretty amazing work he's doing. And he kind of details everything he does to make these uh, one-off portables that look really nice and almost look like you could buy them in the store. So definitely check him out if you're into that kind of thing. I love these videos where you can really see the process that goes into it. So this week, I've got a couple of things planned. I do have some traveling to New York, so it's going to slow me up a little bit. So you might see a couple of quick hit videos, but I do hope to get to tomorrow uh, the iPad Pro, the new 10.5-inch iPad Pro. We're going to take a look at how its 120 hertz display works, what kind of latency you can expect from it, especially compared to uh, the current 9.7 version, which I also have. And what's so funny about these iPads and other mobile devices is that it often takes developers a year or more uh, to bring software that actually takes advantage of the hardware. So there were some pretty cool Apple Pencil apps upon release, but they've all been very much refined since that initial release. And I very rarely use the Pencil. Up until last night, I had a project, or maybe two nights ago, I had a project for one of my consulting gigs that I needed to cut something out in Photoshop, and I wasn't doing very well with my trackpad and my mouse. And I actually moved over to the iPad. I downloaded that a photo app that they demoed during the Apple keynote the other day, and I was amazed by how well it worked. It's a really nice platform with a pen, and uh, it was really actually a really nice experience on my current iPad, so I'm eager to try out how the new one works. Not cheap, but I think very well refined, and we'll see how well refined it is when we get it into the studio. We're also going to take a look, I mentioned this last week, at the EverDrive N8. I played a lot with it yesterday and got a real good feel for how it works. Uh, this is a flash cartridge that works with the original NES. It also works with the two higher-end clone consoles we looked at, the Retro USB AVS, as well as the Analog NT Mini. It has some problems with the original Analog NT, but the Mini, which is based on that FPGA, does work well with it. It does a nice job. It does save states really well, actually, and some other stuff as well. So we'll take a look at how that works. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the Power Pack, which I reviewed in the past, and which one I prefer. So you can check out that video coming up very soon. I hope to shoot that one later today. We also got, uh, we'll look at uh, the 8-bit HD video game system that I unboxed. Speaking of uh, clone hardware, this is a very inexpensive, again, $29 uh, clone console that works with your HD television. That's my threshold for these clone consoles. They have to output to HD if I'm going to review them. Uh, this one met that threshold. $29, two controllers, 720p out, and we'll see how well it performs. I was playing a bit with it over the weekend as well. We're going to be shooting that one very soon. And I probably have a couple of other things that I might slip in, a couple of real quick ones on some storage devices that I'm going to try to get to before I have to hop on the train for New York and get uh, blown out of a day and a half of work. So if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We also have my tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tip jar for a one-time contribution. You can also do those through Venmo at, to lon at lon.tv if you 
are from outside the United States, so I appreciate all the help you can provide. We still have our ongoing uh, thing with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account or gift a Plex pass to somebody else, uh, we get a small commission, so any help you can provide there is appreciated for a great media platform that we have talked quite a bit about here on the channel. You can also engage with the channel on my extras channel at lon.tv extras, my email list at lon.tv email. I'm probably going to do a monthly email just giving you a rundown of what I did in the current month. My Facebook page is at lon.tv Facebook, and we have the store at lon.tv store. And on that store note, last week I asked if you would be interested in an email alert every time I added inventory to the store, and enough of you said you were that I created that feature for you, so you can go to lon.tv store alert. And I'll push out an email whenever I add things to the inventory on the store so you know when uh, new items are available to you. Uh, the live streams we have archived at lon.tv slash live streams. I haven't done one in a while, but I will do one soon once I get a nice free week. Uh, this is going to be a very busy week. I'm compressing a week's worth of production into about two and a half days, so I'm going to be cranking out stuff down here. But I will do a live stream in the near future, so stay tuned for that. And I also have a podcast set up where this shows up along with many other things, interviews and long-form stuff that I do here on the channel. So you can go to lon.tv slash iTunes to find it on iTunes, lon.tv slash Gplay podcast to find it on Google Play. I also have it on a bunch of other podcasting platforms. And if you're on one that doesn't have me on it, uh, let me know and I will put it on there. So I'm always looking for new uh, feeds to get myself into. And a lot of you downloaded uh, the last couple of episodes here of the wrap-up. So I'll continue uh, putting this up on there. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support of what I do here on the channel. Lots of fun stuff coming up. Going to be a busy week for me with all the moving around I'm going to be doing, but I'm enjoying it as always. So thank you again, and we'll see you next week. This is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporters Mark Bollinger and Cody Falk. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.